Hey everyone, I just wanted to throw this up front. The audio quality isn't super great in this one. Sorry about that. I think I'm going to be recording future episodes out of my booth because the acoustics are better for obvious reasons. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. And welcome, intrepid listeners. This is Space Mummies from Planet X, an exploration of all things sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. And I'm your host, Devin C. Larson. That's at Killer Voice Guy on social media. And we did it. It's episode three. Can you believe it? By the way, I just had a cup of coffee right before I started recording, and I am wired. I am ready to rock. Killer Voice Studios, by the way, now has a YouTube channel. I'm posting each episode of the podcast there in video format along with tutorial videos. My first tutorial covering home studio acoustics is up, so go check it out if you've ever been curious about starting your own voiceover career because, in my opinion, that's the perfect place to get started. And please, whatever you do, subscribe to my channel. Just do it. It's really difficult to get subscribers as opposed to followers on other social media, and so it would mean a lot to me. If you do nothing else today, please go subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's Killer Voice Studios. It should pop up if you search for it. Now, wherever you are, I hope you're staying cool from this sweltering August heat. I was shooting the video for the tutorial this past weekend in my recording booth, and it was getting dangerously hot in there. We had to keep ducking out between takes. As far as what I've been watching or reading, I'm still reading Prelude to Foundation. I'm almost done. I've got one more book in the series to go, and then I'll have read all the Foundation books. Yay. And I finally got to see last night the movie Bodies, 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 directed by Helena Regin in her English directorial debut. She's a Dutch actress and director. It's another one of those A24 joints, which means quality in my book. It stars Amanda Stenberg, Maria Bakalova, Miala Harold, Chase Sue Wonders, Rachel Sennett, Lee Pace, and Pete Davidson. It's a dark comedy spin on that classic lock room murder mystery where a group of people are trapped in one location and then people start to turn up dead and then the survivors grow paranoid that there's a murderer in their midst. It's one of those. It's also a skillful satire of Zoomer internet culture, specifically the attention economy created by social media, which is the hell that we all live in now. It dissects the narcissism inherent in our interconnected lives and the illusions and misperceptions that those relationships inflict on us. It's not especially scary, but I don't think it was going for that. It's also not super violent or has a lot of jump scares, so if you're a little squeamish, don't let that deter you. I think this is a good one. You should probably go see it. I also saw the Predator prequel Prey that came out on Hulu, and I thought it was really good. Predator movies really aren't that complicated generally, or deep, but having the main cast be Native American, specifically Comanche, and the protagonist being a woman chafing against traditional gender roles, I thought it was refreshing. If you saw the movie Predators, it tried broadening the diversity of the cast, but it was kind of in a more token way. This one felt more substantial and considered. It also has a bunch of CG animal stuff, and I thought the CG was okay, but obviously looked pretty fake. 
Not that I would want real animals in those situations or in danger or injured, but I, and I also don't expect a ridiculous budget for a Hulu movie. I just, I feel like with CG, you have to either be extremely sparing with it or you have to go all the way and be like Weta and Lord of the Rings. I was talking about this with people earlier today and, um, it's interesting. I want to go back and watch the movie Avatar because the sequel's coming out later this winter and I'll end up covering it on the podcast. But I haven't seen that movie since it first came out and I'm wondering how the CG holds up because there was a whole lot of it. Even the best CG starts to break down over time. It's interesting how that happens. It's also funny, I thought the movie Prey was an adaptation of the video game series Prey at first before I found out it was connected to the Predator series. And I only played the first game in that. There's three of them. And uh, it came out for Xbox 360. And the reason it confused me is because the protagonist in that one is Native American. And they're dealing with aliens and alien abduction and stuff. So without knowing anything, I, I saw Prey. Okay. And it's about, you know, I thought it was an adaptation of that. Apparently not. It's a Predator movie. It's also way more violent and gory than Bodies, 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 interestingly enough. Now, for this episode, we're going to dip our toes into fantasy for the first time on the podcast. We're going to be entering a realm of magic and medieval combat, dragons and elves. Or it would be in some other property. Because this isn't Lord of the Rings, it's dark fantasy. It's way more brutal and fatalistic. We definitely still have the medieval combat, but anyone can die at any time. Fate's cruel like that. All men must die. There are still dragons, though. Dragons are just cool. You gotta have dragons. Today we'll be taking a deep dive into the world of the Game of Thrones spin-off series, House of the Dragon. Do you think the realm will ever accept me as their queen? A woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. Because that is the order of things. When I'm queen, I will create a new order. Now the goal on this one is to tell you everything you need to know so you're well and truly prepared to jump back into the world of A Song of Ice and Fire when House of the Dragon begins. I'm recording this one before the first episode premieres, but it'll be releasing a couple days after, so the timing's a little weird on it. It's not meant to be a comprehensive A Song of Ice and Fire discussion, because I'm going to have one of those down the line once I've reread all the books. And it's probably not even going to be the only time I talk about House of the Dragon. This may end up being a part one down the line once the season ends, and I can take a look back at how things played out. So we're going to start, as we always do, with the creator, the grand storyteller, George R.R. R. Martin. George Raymond Richard Martin, yes, that's what the R's stand for, was born September 20th, 1948 in Bayonne, New Jersey. He attended Northwestern University, got a bachelor's degree in 1970 and a master's in 1971, and these were degrees in journalism. He loved science fiction and fantasy stories since childhood. Eventually, he started writing them himself. He sold his first short story, Hero, in 1971 to the science fiction magazine Galaxy. He was a frequent attendee of science fiction and fantasy conventions, and that continues to this day. He won a Hugo Award in 1974 for his science fiction novella, A Song for Laia, which was a science fiction story about a pair of telepaths studying an alien culture. There's more to it, but that's the gist. It's interesting, A Song for Laia, A Song of Ice and Fire, he's really interested in this motif of songs as a metaphor for storytelling. I find that 
Interesting. In 1976, he began teaching journalism at Clark College in Dubuque, Iowa. Then in 1977, his first full novel came out called Dying of the Light, which was about a celebration on a planet that was nearing destruction. In 1979, he moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and took up writing full-time. In 1981, he released another novella called Sand Kings, and this one received both the Hugo and Nebula Awards. In 1981, he released the novel Windhaven, which was co-written with Lisa Tuttle about a girl who can fly. In 1982, he released the novel Fever Dream, about vampires. In 1983, he released the novel Armageddon Rag, which was a rock and roll horror story, and it sold poorly at the time, but a producer optioned the film rights. And this producer later suggested that Martin be a writer for the remake of The Twilight Zone that came out in the mid-80s. He wrote several screenplays for that show before accepting a writing position on the show Beauty and the Beast. And it's not that Beauty and the Beast. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. It's the modern update, the live-action modern update to the classic fairy tale. From 1987 to 1990, Martin was a writer on Beauty and the Beast, and he eventually became a producer. Following the conclusion of that, in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, he returned to writing fiction once more and began working on A Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones released in 1996. Yes, this entire epic saga started in the 90s, and it was initially intended to be the first novel in a trilogy. Now, as I said earlier, in A Song of Ice and Fire, there isn't a lot of the fantasy elements typical to a story like this. There's no light-hearted heroism, magic, elves, or other fantasy creatures besides dragons, and even those are extinct at the outset of the story. It's more about brutal realism and political intrigue. So, the second novel in the series, A Clash of Kings, came out in 1999. That was followed in 2000 by A Storm of Swords. In 2005, uh, he released A Feast for Crows, and the last novel released to date in the series came out in 2011 called A Dance with Dragons. George R. R. Martin also edited numerous science fiction and fantasy anthologies. He wrote several prequel novellas to A Song of Ice and Fire, and these were collected in a book called A Night of the Seven Kingdoms that came out in 2014. Also in 2014, he published The World of Ice and Fire, which was a companion book to A Song of Ice and Fire, and this describes the history of Westeros, and it's referred to as the World Book. Then, in 2018, he released the novel Fire and Blood that told the history of the Targaryens, and this is the novel that the HBO series House of the Dragon is directly based on, so I'll get more into it later on. Before that, though... Let's discuss a very, very brief history of A Song of Ice and Fire. You undoubtedly know A Song of Ice and Fire, even if you're more familiar with it as Game of Thrones. It's about the seven kingdoms of a mythical realm called Westeros, and of the various factions vying for control of the Iron Throne, which rules the land. Several great families are pitted against one another, including the Starks, the Lannisters, the Baratheons, and the Targaryens. Prior to the start of the story, a long dynasty of Targaryen rulers was overthrown by a coup organized by the other major houses. 
This placed Robert Baratheon on the throne, where he ruled for a number of years enmeshed in a political marriage with Cersei Lannister. He is then assassinated, and the blame's laid at the feet of Eddard Ned Stark, which sets into motion a war between the Starks, the Lannisters, and the Baratheons. Now, to simplify things a great deal, lots of people die. Meanwhile, across the sea on the continent of Essos, we learn that not all the Targaryens were killed. Daenerys Targaryen, the daughter of the former king, still lives in exile. Through hardship and cunning, she's able to amass an army and hatch three dragons, which earns her the title the Mother of Dragons. And then this army is composed of Dothraki warriors, horse warriors, freed slaves, and then the dragons I just mentioned. She then takes this army and sets off across the sea to reclaim her birthright. And also, again, over the course of this, many, many, many people die. And then the books stop. Five novels exist, and I've glossed over significant events and major characters like Jon Snow, Arya Stark, and Tyrion Lannister because I don't want this to become a total recitation of the story. There are two more novels planned in the series, the long-delayed The Winds of Winter and eventually, at some point, A Dream of Spring. Now, it's no great secret that A Song of Ice and Fire was inspired in large part by English medieval history. Martin did a ton of research on the Hundred Years' War, the Crusades, the Albigensian Crusade, and most of all, the Wars of the Roses. He didn't directly adapt any of these events, but um, he used them as direct inspiration. The War of the Roses refers to a series of civil wars fought over the English throne in the mid to late 15th century between two rival branches of the Plantagenet family, the Lancasters, Lannisters, and the Yorks, Starks. The male lines of both houses were eventually killed off, and this led to the Tudors' ascension to the monarchy, which lasted until the death of Elizabeth I in 1603. Now, a number of elements are drawn from the Wars of the Roses in A Song of Ice and Fire, including socioeconomic problems, bastard feudalism, and that refers to a new system that financially bonded tenants of a region to their lord, whereby they would be required to take up arms in service of their lord when called upon. Compare this to the banner system with the various houses pledging their service to a banner lord in A Song of Ice and Fire. And it also had a mentally weak and unstable ruler in Henry VI, political intrigue involving rival claimants to the throne leading to many battles, deposing this or that ruler and then forcing them to flee to another country and then later return with an army to overthrow the new monarch, and on and on and on. The wall to the north of Westeros, by the way, that protects the realm from the others, which are called the White Walkers in the TV show, was inspired by Hadrian's Wall, which George R. R. Martin visited in Scotland. Martin was also inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. He said that his treatment of the characters was inspired by how Tolkien had handled it, In The Lord of the Rings, the story starts with a cast of characters banded together, and then they all split up and have their separate adventures, and then they eventually come back together by the end. There's also not really a ton of overt magic use, even by Gandalf, who's a wizard, mostly fights with a sword. A Song of Ice and Fire was also inspired by a book called Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn by Tad Williams. This novel has elements like Mongol-esque horse warriors, monsters in the frozen north, and pet wolves. Now, 
the main focus of House of the Dragon is on the Targaryens. So let's discuss who are the Targaryens in the first place. The Targaryens in A Song of Ice and Fire were the first noble house in the world. Their sigil is a three-headed dragon breathing fire, and their house motto is fire and blood. The Targaryens are a family of dragon lords of Valerian descent who escaped the doom of Valeria in Essos, the other continent, and then they traveled to Westeros, and they became the first rulers of the continent. They first resided on the island of Dragonstone for over a century before Aegon the Conqueror launched the first war of conquest, at which point he constructed Aegonfort, which later became the Red Keep in King's Landing. At that point, he conquered all of Westeros. After that, uh, the Iron Throne was almost always passed down to the Prince of Dragonstone in an unbroken hereditary line for nearly 300 years. There were 17 male descendants that ruled until the final Targaryen, Aerys the Mad King, was deposed during Robert's Rebellion prior to the start of A Song of Ice and Fire. At that point, his two remaining children, Viserys and Daenerys, both fled to Essos. The Targaryens possess... They all possess similar hereditary features, including pale skin, silver, platinum, or gold hair, and purple or blue eyes. They also typically have the ability to experience premonitions through dreams, which is what allowed them to escape the Doom of Valeria way back in prehistory. They're also seen as prone to madness, possibly because of their family history of inbreeding, frequently breeding brother and sister, cousin to cousin, uncle to niece, aunt to nephew. They're all about it. They once followed the gods of Valeria, but prior to Aegon's conquest, they converted to the faith of the Seven, which is the main religion of Westeros. As far as famous or notable Targaryens in the story A Song of Ice and Fire, there's originally Aenar Targaryen, who was the one that left Valeria for Dragonstone, and he brought five dragons with him. Then there's, of course, Aegon Targaryen and his sister-wives Rhaenys and Visenya, who rode their dragons into battle and waged the wars of conquest that earned him the title Aegon the Conqueror and put all of Westeros under Targaryen rule. His descendant Magar Targaryen constructed the Dragon Pit in King's Landing, where most of the dragons were hatched and raised, if not actually flown. Then there was Aegon III, called the Dragon's Bane because under his rule, the last of the dragons died out. And then there was Eris II, the Mad King, who started out as a benevolent ruler before a series of miscarriages and the death of three sons and an uprising where he was held prisoner for a year all made him paranoid and cruel. He then began to see every unexplained event as evidence of a conspiracy and punished his imagined enemies cruelly by burning them to death. He was fascinated with fire and hatching dragon eggs. He was killed during Robert's Rebellion by Jaime Lannister. Then there was his surviving son for a time, Viserys Targaryen, who was Daenerys' older brother, and Viserys nursed a hatred for Robert Baratheon and the other leaders of the coup that led to his exile. Viserys was very cruel to his sister and used her as an object to be sold to Cal Drogo in exchange for support in his eventual restoration to the Iron Throne. Then there was Daenerys Targaryen, the last of the long line of Targaryens who went from unwilling bride to a Dothraki call, and went from that to Mother of Dragons when she hatched three dragon eggs, gifted as a wedding present in Drogo's funeral pyre. 
She then went on to become the Breaker of Chains, as she managed to take control of the city of Karth and overthrew the ruling order there. She then united the Dothraki and launched an invasion of Westeros composed of freed slaves and Dothraki horse riders and her three dragons. Now, the production timeline for the show Game of Thrones is as follows. The series aired from 2011 to 2019, a total of eight seasons. Martin contributed several scripts himself for episodes, including the episode Blackwater, and that earned him yet another Hugo Award. Martin also won three Emmys as co-executive producer. Game of Thrones was named Best Outstanding Drama Series. The show, um, if you know anything about it, it, famously or infamously outpaced the source material of the books and then improvised an ending based off of Martin's notes. And to say that the ending was controversial, that's probably the best way that you can put it. (laughs) Not a lot of people were happy. The show had a huge production cost. It was reportedly around $100 million per season. In season one, it was about 2 to $6 million per episode. And then by season eight, that became $15 million per episode. Huge production, very expensive. It was mainly shot in Northern Ireland, Iceland, and Croatia, but also Malta, Morocco, Spain, and occasionally the U.S. There was a total of 10 different countries. The production employed thousands of crew members, had roughly 13,000 extras over the eight seasons. And in Northern Ireland, just a fun factoid, the production used 4,000 gallons of fake blood and 52,000 bags of paper snow. It was a hugely popular show. Viewership more than tripled from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. It was nominated for over 160 Emmy nominations. It ended up winning 59 of those. And um, like I said, it was massively popular. I remember by the final season, it felt like every one of those episodes was an event. And everyone was watching at or close to the same time and talking about it on Twitter. I know it's like really common to talk about a lack of cultural touchstones because everybody's watching whatever they want on their own schedule on various streaming services, but this seemed like a rare thing. As I alluded to, a number of things in the final season really upset fans. Spoilers, by the way, if you haven't seen the end of Game of Thrones and want to. But the main thing was the heel turn that Daenerys takes when she basically goes crazy and raises King's Landing without any cause, and then threatens to conquer all of Westeros by force. It kind of went against her character to that point, or it was just done inartfully and bothered a lot of people. And I totally get why. As far as the novels go, George R. R. Martin is a very, very slow writer. He admits this. Apparently managing all the divergent storylines in the book has been a incredible challenge. As a result, Winds of Winter keeps being pushed back year after year, and it's not just because of the difficulty of writing it. His time's also being split between that book, writing the second volume of Fire and Blood, which I'll get into the first volume in a second, and then all the various HBO projects, convention appearances, etc. It's really painful waiting this long for the sixth A Song of Ice and Fire book. I mean... It's been over 10 years, but what are you going to do? Now, let's discuss Fire and Blood. 
Fire and Blood was originally intended to be published after the completion of A Song of Ice and Fire. The first volume was came out in 2018. Uh, George R. R. Martin originally intended it to be one volume, but the material kept growing too large, and so he split it into two, and he's currently working on volume two. Originally, this it was referred to jokingly as the George R. R. Marillion after J.R.R. Tolkien's The Cimmerillion, which outlined the history of the world of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so people were making comparisons there. Fire and Blood details the history of House Targaryen, and specifically the exploits of the various Targaryen kings. It spun out of the novel The World of Ice and Fire in 2014, because Martin was writing significantly more material about the Targaryens than he intended. He ended up writing 350,000 words in the sidebars compared to the 50,000 words that the book was supposed to have. And 180,000 of this was on Targaryen history, and then he later expanded on that and released it as Fire and Blood. So the first volume covers everything from Aegon's conquest up through the reign of Aegon III. It starts with Aegon I's conquest of the Seven Kingdoms and his rule then goes on to talk about his two sons, Aenys I and Magor I, who succeeded him, and then, following Magor's death, the ascension of Aenys's son, Jaehaerys I Targaryen. Then, apparently, Jaehaerys' role stretches for a very long time, and during the course of his reign, there are a number of crises and betrayals, specifically over the successor to Jaehaerys, which ends up being Viserys I. Then comes the reign of Aegon II, which is marked by a bloody civil war called the Dance of Dragons that ends with his murder, after which his young son, Aegon III, becomes king and enters into a long regency under which he's controlled by his advisors and the hand of the king. So, the genesis of the series House of the Dragon, immediately following the end of Game of Thrones, HBO began developing a number of spin-off shows set in Westeros. So far, House of the Dragon is the furthest one along, obviously, because it's actually being released and has been shot and everything. But there are so many spin-off shows in development. At one point, there was a show called The Long Night about the famous White Walker incursion that occurred in the history of Westeros. Most of these are prequels about the history of Westeros. The Long Night had a $30 million pilot and executives weren't really sold on it, so it didn't they passed on it. There was also supposed to be a prequel series starring Naomi Watts set 10,000 years before Game of Thrones. That didn't get picked up. Currently, there is a series in development called The Sea Snake about Lord Corlys Valerion, the greatest seafarer in the history of the Seven Kingdoms. This was announced in March 2021. There's also another series in development called 10,000 Ships, and that's set 1,000 years before Game of Thrones about Princess Nymeria, an ancestor of House Martell, that would go on to found the Kingdom of Dorne. One of the few sequel series, there's an untitled Jon Snow sequel series to Game of Thrones in development that follows the events of the show, where Kit Harington would reprise his role as Jon Snow. Last time we saw him was leaving the Wall to head north with the Free Folk. There's also a series in development based on the novellas Martin wrote about Dunk and Egg, which is um, the knight Sir Duncan and his squire Egg, who would later become Aegon V Targaryen. 
the working title currently is tentatively a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. And there are other rumored spinoffs in development, but those are the main ones. So, as far as what the show is adapting from Fire and Blood, it's not covering the entire history of the Targaryens. It's basically pulling from the second half of the first volume of Fire and Blood. It's set 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, and it covers the Targaryen civil war called the Dance of the Dragons. It's a war of succession over which Targaryen will become the king after Viserys I dies. Even though the focus is on the Targaryens, other houses will be represented, like the Starks and the Lannisters, etc., etc. As far as main characters in the series, it's an all-star cast. King Viserys is played by Patty Considine. Queen Alicent Hightower is played by Olivia Cook. Prince Damon, played by the doctor himself, Matt Smith. Princess Rhaenyra is played by Emma D'Arcy. Sir Kristen Cole of the Kingsguard is played by Fabian Frankel. Sir Otto Hightower, played by Rhys Ifans. Myceria, played by Sonoya Mizuno. And then there's Lord Corliss Valerian, the Sea Snake, played by Steve Toussaint. And he reprises that role in the Sea Snake prequel series that's also in development. And then there's Princess Rhaenya Valerian, who's also called the Queen That Never Was. And she's played by Eve Best. So what can we expect from this series? Um, It's rumored to be... I I saw it referred to at one point as Succession with Dragons, if you're familiar with the show Succession. I don't think it's going to be, like, funny, but that's basically the gist of it. You can expect a lot of dragons. Game of Thrones only ended up having three, and we didn't see dragon-on-dragon combat until, like, season eight. House of the Dragon will have around 17 dragons in plentiful dragon combat. We can expect a lot of political intrigue, similar to early seasons of Game of Thrones. And unlike Game of Thrones, there's going to be a number of time jumps, so prepare yourself for that over the course of the story. There's like apparently a 10-year time jump about halfway through the season, and it's compared basically, if you've ever seen the show The Crown, on Netflix, the time jumps are similar to that, where just they recast or, or, or shift things up, and then it's just the story continues. You can also expect a focus on power imbalance between the genders and the ruinous effect that the patriarchy has on otherwise powerful women. So, House of the Dragon premieres, or at this point, when you're listening to this, already premiered, on August the 21st. The concept seems entertaining. It has a great cast, and as far as I can tell, they intend to be very faithful to the source material. They're not going to just sort of wing it like Game of Thrones did towards the end. This is not going to be the last time that we talk about House of the Dragon or A Song of Ice and Fire. As I said in the beginning, expect a Game of Thrones podcast at some point down the line, delving more deeply into the novels and the show itself, once I have time to reread and possibly rewatch everything. And that's it. That's Space Mummies from Planet X for this week. Make sure you follow me on social media at Killer Voice Guy and the show at Space Mummies. And as I said in the intro, I have a YouTube channel. I upload versions of this podcast along with tutorial videos about voiceover topics that would be helpful to people getting started in voice acting. So please go subscribe to that channel. I need to feed it subscribers to keep it happy.
Next time on the podcast, I'll be examining the video game Resident Evil 7. Why 7 and not 4 or 2? You'll have to tune in to find out. See you next time. 